Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. That's your live. That's Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I have some really wonderful news. I, You know, we've been talking about our fundraising efforts, and we've been striving to reach our goal, and we did it today. Thank you. I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude, and I'm just so incredibly amazed at God's goodness and the generosity of Faith Radio listeners that we are... Um, Still four days away from the end of the month, and we we met our goal. And I, I'm just so humbled because every day I come to work and I pray that I can not only do my very best work with excellence, but I can be bringing the kind of talk that is going to glorify God's name and build up the body. And when we have such an incredible response to our efforts that you know how important Christian radio is. So you're letting us know in a big way that we want to help and you've done it. So thank you. And I'm going to continue to gush for a while as we all are, because the goal was lofty and the ambition was that we would continue to um, expand our territory and have more translators that would give us a bigger audience. And we have not only done that this year, but we've been able to double our listenership in a bunch of those markets. And with the pandemic, I think there's a lot more people looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for positive talk, talk that doesn't just weigh them down. Sometimes you get uh, into news programs and you just, you hear so much negativity and you can can only take so much of that. And then you wake up and you say, okay, I need some hope. I need some joy. I need to find a place to go where I can uh, feel calm and comforted. And then that has uh, been the response. So I'm, I'm just amazed. I really am. I think we all are. We had a whole bunch of emails that have flown around that have said we are uh, just amazed at the response. And so thank you again from the very bottom of my heart. It's a, You've done it for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm looking at Leviticus uh, chapter 19. And it, in verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I'm just wanting to be reminding everybody God's great command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I can't think of a more important time to be loving our neighbors than right now. There's so much division in the world. There's so much tension and violence and conflict. And I think people are genuinely concerned about the direction that our world is going and our country is going. And I I know that it can all be um, changed by love, how we love one another, how we show love for others, how we reach out in times of difficulty to each other and how we um, are just showing up for each other. Sometimes we just have to suit up and show up. 
and be present in a person's life, and that will make all the difference as well. So on behalf of uh, everyone here at Faith Radio, thank you once again. Your generosity is just spectacular. All right. I'm thinking we've got a great show, as always, today. Dr. Alex McFarland, I believe, is going to be joining us in the program pretty soon. Uh, he is a uh, author of over 20 books and an apologist and truth for a new generation uh, originator. So he is wanting always to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ every opportunity he can. And he's with me now. Alex, welcome. Hi, Bill. Congratulations on reaching your uh, fundraising goals. Well, it was a spectacular effort on behalf of all the listeners. And the fact that this is the first time we've been, we've been able to meet our goal uh, fully funded in the year when the economy is so uh, crazy and the pandemic is really, it's an amazing uh, message that our listeners have sent us. Praise God. I, I know. And wow, uh, as uh, uncertain as the world is right now, I really, really do rejoice with you. And, and this uh, qu- time of quarantine, it illustrates how much Christian radio is needed right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm I'm so honored to be on. I, you know, I get emails and Facebook messages and iMessages and correspondence from a lot of people and from many, many of your listeners. And so it really is an honor to be, even though I'm, you know, a thousand miles away, I suppose, in North Carolina, to be kind of a little peripheral personality in the faith radio world, I count it a great honor. Well, I appreciate the boldness with which you speak, because I usually... We'll get um, emails on both sides of the ledger after I've had you on. Some people are troubled by your uh, your take on certain issues, and and many are rejoicing. So it's uh, it's interesting. I always um, I'm curious to see what's going to happen after I have Alex on. Well, you know, here here in recent weeks and months, I've been concerned for Minneapolis, and I know you're up there. And halfway, I kind of um. You know, I love talking to Bill Arnold because I get a, an update on a, a city and a region that means a lot to me. So um, I'm reading in the news, you know, about uh, it says Minneapolis City Council unanimously votes on plan to dismantle police department. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, how do you think that's going to work? That would be a complete disaster. Um, I don't even know what the word defund means unless they rearrange resources so they have... They still have the police, but they also use more social services to answer certain calls. So I don't know entirely what it means, and I don't think the Minneapolis City Council knows exactly what it means. Yeah. Um, Well, therein lies uh, the plea of my heart today, Uh, you know, as we're watching, you know, statues come down. And I did an interview about two hours ago. Uh, A group is calling for the... uh, blasting away of Mount Rushmore. Wow. And uh, they were queuing me up at this interview, and they played a film clip of Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, who who said, yes, she said, I agree. Uh, we need to get rid of Mount Rushmore, she says. And I've actually spoken there. I did a, a live webcam interview from Mount Rushmore in the year 2000. That was 20 years ago. And that was when streaming online was really rare. But I have actually broadcast from the base of Mount Rushmore. And, you know, Bill, we, we really need to pray. There, you know, from I, I think people may not realize it, 
that the anti-American Marxists see a moment of opportunity here. And I think a lot of people feel like they have enough momentum and social cachet that this is the best chance in two centuries to end the United States of America. Um, They're calling to get rid of the national anthem, and they want to change it to Woody Guthrie's communist uh, song, This Land is Your Land, This Land is My Land, um, which is not – even NPR admits that's not the harmless little folk tune some people assume it is. So I'm I'm very concerned, Bill. I'm very concerned. I just heard, too, uh, on the drive over that the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, was talking about how concerned she is that some of the buildings that got burned down in some of the stores, like a Walmart and a Target, may not rebuild in that area, especially if there is going to be the danger of of a, a lesser police force and a lesser presence. And, you know, if you want to have conventions in the beautiful city of Minneapolis, if you want to have major events and have have it to be a cosmopolitan sort of city with a lot of activity, people are not going to want to be coming to a convention here in the Twin Cities if they can not walk the street and feel uh, confident and protected and safe. Yeah, I I was watching a story, Bill, I was prepping for an interview, and um, it it was talking about how grocers and retailers, um, you know, look, they're, they're in business to make a profit. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, somewhere along the pike, um, people put their own money at risk. Uh, By the way, I've spoken quite a bit in Bentonville, Arkansas, and Rogers, Arkansas, which is the home of Walmart. Mm -hmm. And there's a a museum there, and I toured it. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. One of the nation's greatest art museums is in Bentonville, Arkansas. Walmart owns an art museum. Oh, and it's beautiful, and it's uh, it's one of our nation's great works of original, you know, really masterpieces of art. But I went through the museum about Walmart, and, you know, Sam Walton, he used his own money, worked himself to death almost, and built a business that now worldwide employs more than a million people. And what people don't realize is when they'll say, oh, you know, profit is a bad thing. Big corporations make a profit. Yeah, you're darn right they do because they – some people uh, invested, worked hard, created something, and yeah, it makes a profit. So when you've got neighborhoods that are trashed and burned out, um, you can't expect private businesses to go there where um, the government is just going to exploit them and not protect them. And so to all these people that think they're making some sort of – progressive statement by torching their neighborhoods that that's just that's uh irrational it, it's irrational um bill I, I wrote a book uh about seven years ago called the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about god and in that i quote uh, i make a quote about the ancient jewish city of palmyra that was one of the world heritage sites where all these you know, works of art. But from the time of the writing of the book uh, till it was about to come out, I had to change it because ISIS torched the city of Palmyra and works of art that were 3,000 years old had been destroyed. And so we had to change the book because Palmyra 
from the time I wrote it to the time of the printing, ISIS destroyed things that people had admired for wow. over 2,000 years. And, and that's like a lot of the so-called progressives now. They're not creating anything, but they're, they're destroying things like the Constitution, uh, patriotism, uh, respect for order and the rule of law, uh, respect for authority, and, and even things like the ethic of hard work. You know, I mean, I mean, really, why should anybody be given anything? I mean, why, why not do that thing that builds our character and work, uh, work and experience the gratification of having earned something? Yeah, it's a great, um, great well, point. A lot is being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Alex, let me take a short break. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back. I've got Dr. Alex McFarland now on telephone to Comrex, so he should be like he's right in the studio. Alex, welcome back. Hi, this is a great day. You met your fundraising goal, and we got the computer to work. <laughs> I know. It's really wonderful. But, you know, I have a, an incredible sense of um, desire to serve God, glorify His name. Um, but I also hear I'm serving the, the listeners. We're listener-supported uh, radio. So I, I just I have such a great care and concern for my listeners. So could we take a little feedback Friday? Are you in the mood for that? Yeah, let's do it. I got a couple of messages last time you were on. Uh, The first one was this. Thank you for having this conversation today with Alex. I pray that many people heard this and will take it to heart. That was one uh, response I got. Another one I got uh, was this. I was concerned about the explicit and implied messages that were communicated. As a public voice, you have a weighty responsibility to consider and protect your witness to Christ as Savior and Lord. It seemed that there was more concern over elevating the Republican Party and distracting listeners from the issue we are currently faced with in this country, which is the ongoing police bias and brutality against African Americans. So is it more important to try and prove that one's favorite political party is on the right side of these racial issues or to show compassion and take up the cause of the oppressed? Wow. And and thanks. You know, I remember that two weeks ago when we were talking about Columbus and some mm-hmm. of these initial things. And let me say to all the listeners, um, it, it is a responsibility. It is a weighty responsibility to come to a microphone that goes out to, you know, many, many thousands, potentially millions of people. And let me say, as a guest, I also feel a responsibility because Faith Radio and Bill Arnold puts trust in me to allow me to come on sometimes. And so I don't ever want to betray that. And if I ever have, I ask forgiveness. I really do. Um, You know, I am pretty passionate about this country. And it's wrong. I mean, the, the death of George Floyd was so tragic. I mean, there is no question there, there are people whose rights have been undermined. There are people whose lives have been lost. And sometimes in commenting on the moral battles that our nation is in right now, um, there, there's sometimes just not a right way to say what 
we feel like needs to be said. And then sometimes, in spite of our best intention, we say things and we don't say them correctly. So to the degree that I've ever said anything offensive, please don't hold Faith Radio responsible. It's just chalk it up to Alex's ineptitude. But at at the same time, um, I guess my basic point, Bill, is that we we do have a great country. Um, I'll put it this way. Um, let's say there's there's a child that's growing up and does some good things and some disobedient things, but you you don't you know abandon or disown the child or heaven forbid even kill the child because the child is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, while our Constitution, Bill of Rights, Declaration. Uh, it's not perfect because this in this fallen world we're never going to have heaven on earth. But I will say I, I I do believe the USA has been about as close as you'll get. Um, and and I said that having traveled to dozens of countries, five continents, in spite of our foibles, um, this is still a country worth loving, a country worth being passionate about. Um, maybe I and I ask forgiveness if I've ever not said it as graciously as I should, but we we need to to stand up for the red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. We need to love our country. We need to sit down, I think, and have conversations with each other. But um, I'm not I'm not trying to give a pass to either party. I'm not trying to fully pass or fully condemn either party. I'm just saying. Um, the answer to move forward is not to torch the USA, but to love it, pray for it, and and try to improve it, not destroy it. Yeah, beautifully said, Alex. Thank you for that. And another uh, comment I got, I think it was, I got more than, more than one of these comments is, I'm really intrigued that Alex knows so much about Christopher Columbus. Could we ever get him to come on and talk about Christopher Columbus and oh, teach wow. what he knows? Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. I got interested in Columbus when I was working for Focus on the Family because, um, you know, in in his journal on the ships, and and I know Columbus was a a, a Spanish uh, Catholic, whereas I'm an American Protestant. But, you know, one of my core values, and this will probably open up a new Pandora's box of mail, (laughs) <laughs> I, was, I, I was on a show two days ago out of Chicago that was a, a Roman Catholic newswire service. And, and by the way, I'm only speaking for Alex here, so don't freak out. Or the, the, What I'm about to say might get some amens or it might get some oh me. But um, I think we have a unique opportunity right now for Protestants and Catholics to unite together. because And there's plenty we can unite about. Um, I I do like Columbus. Columbus wrote in his journal, he said that he viewed himself as an evangelist to bear the light of the gospel to unknown coastlands. He um, prayed for his crew to know Jesus. He he would read like um, Isaiah 49 and 53 about Jesus the Savior, and he believed that what he was doing to try to discover a route to the North American continent, he honestly believed that he was a part of the Great Commission. And and I believe that too. 
Um, and then one of my colleagues at Focus on the Family wrote a biography of Columbus. And so that's kind of why I got so into it. But you know what? On their ships, um, when they would turn the hourglass over to mark the passing of uh, an hour, one of the crew members was instructed whenever they turn the hourglass over to say, blessed be the hour our Lord was born. Wow. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But in, let me say this, in terms of Protestants and Catholics, look, we all believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We believe in the virgin birth, the deity of Christ. Um, we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the moral code of Exodus chapter 20. We believe in prayer. Um, I know uh, there, are, there are liberal Protestants that I would probably have a lot of disagreement with, and there are Catholics I would probably have a lot of agreement with. And there are Catholics that would have, there, there are some Catholics right now that would have more agreement with certain Bible-believing Protestants than they might even with their own current Pope. Um, I've spoken in a couple of Catholic schools and one Catholic church. They invited me to speak. But, but I will say this, folks. Um, we really, if, if you love God and country, I don't think we have the luxury right now to be sequestered away from each other. Um, we we need each other, and one of the best ways to build bridges and to really, you know, progress along to a better America is to talk to people, even people with whom you disagree. And so when when I'm at the grocery store or talking to my neighbors, I mean, I've got non-believers all around me. I've got people that are moderately concerned about America, and I've got people that talk trash on America. But let's respectfully, prayerfully, graciously try to hear each other. Um, and, and I don't think it's a compromise of our convictions at all to have conversations with people that are not on the same side of the aisle as us right now. Yeah, beautifully spoken, Alex. Thank you for that. And thank you for giving us a little tease on Christopher Columbus. You know, maybe we can dedicate um, one of our shows that we do with you um, to learning more about Christopher Columbus. I, I well, would find it fascinating. He apparently arrived in North America October 12, 1492, so it's not that far away. Maybe around October we'll do a Columbus show. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. I hope you have a great uh, weekend and a happy 4th of July coming up next week. I don't think I'll speak yeah. to you till after then, so uh, my best and blessings to you and your family. And to you as well. Thank you for having me on. You're so gracious, and I love Faith Radio. Thanks, Alex. We love you, too. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com. When we come back, Dr. Cal Beisner is going to be joining us. Always uh, interested in getting an update on what's going on in the climate change with Dr. Cal Beisner. We'll be right back.
I am absolutely delighted whenever I get a chance to talk to Dr. Cal Beisner. If you go to cornwallalliance.org and go to the staff page, you'll see his picture with the title Founder and National Spokesman. Gotta love that. He's the founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. It's a network of 60 Christian theologians, scientists, economists, brainiacs. They all get together and figure stuff out and educate us on biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the proclamation and defense of the good news of salvation by God's grace. So uh, that is what the Cornwall Alliance does, and I, I go there often myself, and I encourage you to do so, do so as well, cornwallalliance.org. Cal's our guest. Cal, welcome. Thanks very much, Bill. Great to be back with you. Yeah. So I want to start with a little provocative thought here. What's the most important figure you've never heard of? Well, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to my listening audience right now. <laughs> Right, yeah. That most important figure that most people have never heard of is uh, what's called the social cost of carbon. First time I've heard it. Social cost of carbon, SCC. Yeah, yeah, social cost of carbon. What that means basically is what's the value of all the damages that might be associated with putting a little bit of extra CO2 into the air? That's very interesting. Uh, a little bit being one metric ton, so roughly 2,000 pounds. Um, that sounds like a lot, but in the world's atmosphere, it's <laughs> hardly noticeable. Um, so the idea is, uh, the assumption is that uh, this added carbon dioxide is going to do some damage, and we want to try to figure out how much damage it's going to do, and then we decide whether we want to try to spend something to prevent that. So, and the reason it's so important yeah. is that this number gets used to justify spending not thousands of dollars, not millions, not even billions, but trillions of dollars fighting climate change. Mm-hmm. So what do we learn about this number, and and who calculates this number, and who gets to determine that the model that's used to come up with this number? <laughs> oh, all, all great questions. The first thing we learn about this number is that it is, its name is itself deceptive, because while it is called the social cost of carbon, it's really the social cost of carbon dioxide. And the dirty little secret is that those who promote it know that the public thinks of carbon as dirty black soot, smoke in the air. Mm -hmm. But they also know that carbon dioxide is an odorless, colorless gas that not only is harmless at, well, at, at 20 times the present atmospheric concentration, but it's also absolutely essential to all of plant life and therefore all of animal life on, on this planet. You know? so, so if you want to scare people, you don't talk about carbon dioxide, you talk about carbon. So that's why they intentionally misname this. It's because they want to scare you into thinking that we have to spend trillions of dollars to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide we put into the atmosphere. Well, it kind of worked on me because when I heard carbon, I got scared. Because it sounded dirty. Oh, well. It sounded like that, you know, the horrible soot that's coming out of the back of an old bus. Yeah. But carbon exactly. dioxide that's is it. all about life and growth and, and plants and, and good things. 
Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> carbon dioxide is what plants use to do photosynthesis, and that's how right. they grow. Right. And that's how they make food for animals and for people. You know. Yeah. So that's that's great stuff. Now it's, it's... So okay, <laughs> you asked uh, who who gets to try to define this. Right. Uh, well, you know, a variety of different federal agencies. Actually, I believe it's twelve different federal agencies have uh, tried to work at this coming up with an answer to it. And frankly, the answer is bad enough that that uh, Joseph Aldi, who was, uh, he's, he's a Harvard environmental economist, and he used to be special assistant to uh, President Obama for energy and environment. Aldi said about this, this number, the social cost of carbon dioxide, is there's no right answer. I think it's almost for regular people to decide as opposed to people in the ivory tower. So really it's, uh, you know, the, the answers run all the way from about, about 15 bucks per ton to as much as 270 bucks per ton. Uh, but there's really no solid science behind any of those answers. That's a little shocking because they always talk about science and you, you're, you're not a science denier, are you? But it sounds like, the science is not. Oh, no, I uh, I like science a whole lot. I, I, I know think you science is wonderful stuff. What I think is awful is when science gets uh, hijacked, yes. and people just start start saying, "Well, the science says no." Science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things, and sometimes they have good reasons, and sometimes they don't. Scientists, even when they're being honest, sometimes make mistakes, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're not honest too. And Cal, you must talk to a lot of people whose their bias is so strong that it doesn't matter what kind of common sense you bring them or facts that you bring them, they're just going to simply think you're uh, nuts. Yeah, that often happens. Uh, but I, th- I think really we can make some progress on, on talking sense to people. You know, For instance, on this social cost of carbon dioxide figure, you know, the official figure from the U.S. EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, back in 2012 was $12 in 2007 dollars, so that figures out to 1484 in 2020 dollars when you do all the inflation calculations and everything. So let's assume that social cost of carbon is, you know, $14.84 a ton, right? Mm-hmm. And they think that therefore we need to cut back on carbon dioxide. Uh, emissions. And yet, you know, we all pay prices when we get things, when we do things, right? You know, uh, a lot of things in life cost me fourteen eighty four or more, a, a tank of gas. Uh, well, certainly my monthly mortgage, mm-hmm. <laughs> a nice restaurant date with my wife, <laughs> a flight ticket to visit my grandkids in England, uh, a paperback book costs more than that. And hey, you know what? I don't stop getting those, and neither does anybody else, because they cost us something. And that's because we consider them worth more to us than they cost. And the same thing is true about society. Society is just, you know, the aggregate of people. Things cost society, yet it continues using them, doing them, getting them, because it judges the benefits outweigh the costs. And that's certainly the case with carbon dioxide, the benefits that we get from it far outweigh the costs. Mm. Now, I know you spent a lot of years growing up 
in, in India. And there's some news out of India now that they're confirming there's no increase in tropical cyclones due to climate change. Kind of a big news item. Yeah, yeah not only in tropical cyclones, but <laughs> here's the real shocker. There's been no dangerous warming in, <laughs> excuse me, in the Indian region. One of the reasons why we're particularly interested in India is not only that I used to live there myself, but also one of the climate scientists working with the Cornwall Alliance lives there right now, Vijay Jayaraj. And so he's always looking at the data about the Indian area. And, and whereas a lot of different you know, people who want to scare folks about climate change will talk about uh, how this will harm the 1.3 billion people in India. You know, well, he's been looking at the data given by the Indian government in its most recent, uh, in fact, it's its first ever uh, assessment of climate change over the Indian region. And guess what? The data say that long-term observations running from 1891 to 2018 indicate a significant reduction in annual frequency of tropical cyclones in the mm. North, Atlantic, North Indian Basin. And by the way, Vijay also looks at the data for the United States, and basically the same thing's true there. Official data from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, reveal that there's been a 50% reduction in the number of major hurricanes making landfall in the United States since the 1930s. And yet, Climate alarmists all over the place tell us, oh, global warming is going to great and cause more hurricanes and they're going to be stronger. No, the data don't show that. And in fact, even the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is kind of the, you know, the high priesthood of climate change folks, mm -hmm. uh, even it says that there is no, no connection between global warming and either the frequency or the intensity of hurricanes or any other severe weather for that matter. Mm-hmm. Cal, I think I was reading this week, maybe last week, about uh, the state of Hawaii, and they're putting the brakes on solar uh, energy because the cost of electricity has gotten so high. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you hear about, uh, you know, renewable energy sources, and we're all for that, right? But when they start to be completely ineffective and cost more than, than um, other traditional means, you start to w wonder, uh, is that the right direction? Yeah, and in fact, uh, just just recently, we had an article published at Cornwall Alliance's blog. Again, that's cornwallalliance.org, uh, by a, uh, a scientist who lives in Hawaii, who was uh, talking about writing about the uh, the problem of how much land and land in Hawaii, of course, is very expensive because there's not not an awful lot of it. Mm -hmm. How much land gets taken up by wind turbines and uh, and by solar panels, and it's a huge amount of land compared with the amount of electricity that they that they generate and compared with the oil fueled uh, electric generating plants that provide most of Hawaii's electricity. These things provide very, very little electricity, yet they use a great deal of land. And and that's just a problem, you know. Not even to mention the fact that the rare earth metals in, in made in, made in or used in making the wind turbines and the solar panels, those rare earth metals are mined mostly in China and in the 
Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, which is, by the way, not democratic and not a republic, but it's got that name. And in those places, uh, women and children essentially do practically slave labor handling, uh, you know, mining these rare earth metals and being exposed to uh, extremely toxic chemicals in the process. So the, uh, the disease and death rates are very high wow. there. And that's to make these wonderful wind turbines and solar panels that don't even work well anyway. Yeah, Cal, if you think about a place like Hawaii where you've got opportunities for solar power and wind power, if they can't make it work there... That's kind of concerning. They're they're yeah. still running mostly on oil, aren't they? Yes, they are. In fact, uh, it's well over ninety percent of the electricity in Hawaii is generated by burning oil. Uh, if they if they uh, if they had coal reserves in Hawaii, I suppose they'd probably burn a fair amount of coal, but they don't, and so they burn oil instead. It's a little easier to transport than coal. Hmm. Cal, let me take a little break. I want to come back. I want to uh, have you discuss some of the uh, new climate assessments that are uh, going on right now. I just want a big update on everything. And are we going to have more of this dangerous warming? Uh, Things stay the same or a little bit less? So we'll find out after a break. Dr. Cal Beisner is my guest. You can always go to cornwallalliance.org. And even when we come back, I want to find out maybe there's a promotion going on there. Uh, Cornwallalliance.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I have Dr. Cal Beisner on the show. He's the founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And Cal, right before we went to break, I was uh, curious as to some of the new climate assessment. What are the indicators? What are they showing? Are we going to have more of this dangerous warming? About the same or less? (laughs) Well, it depends on whether you believe the climate models, the computer climate models, Excellent or point. the empirical evidence. Excellent point. The empirical <laughs> evidence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's, here's the interesting thing. First of all, the, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is working now on what will be the sixth assessment report, uh, probably going to come out uh, early next year, sometime like that. And for that, they are using climate models. They're, they're called uh, coupled model intercomparison project models. And uh, this is the sixth generation of those. And the fifth generation, which underlay the last of their assessment reports, that generation on average predicted more than two times the amount of warming actually observed over the relevant period. In other words, they got it wrong. Um, the, uh, the sixth generation models uh, we're starting to see some of the output from those. And interestingly enough, they're predicting even more warming. So in other words, they're going to get it more wrong. <laughs> so what's going to happen is the media are going to take this new assessment report. They'll look basically at the summary for policymakers and probably won't even read that with any great care. 
And the summary for policymakers is going to tell people that, oh, the models say that we're going to have so much warming from all the CO2 that we're emitting into the atmosphere. What they're not going to tell people in the summary for policymakers, but which does happen in the technical reports on which the summary is supposed to be based, is that when we actually look at the empirical evidence, the warming effect of added CO2 is much, much less. And so, and, and so the, uh, the real question is, do you believe your eyes or do you believe the lies? <laughs> uh, and then there's, there's another thing to, uh, to, to keep in mind, too, and that is that even the IPCC, when it uses those models predicting a lot of warming, it also tries to model what's going to happen in terms of agriculture and business and human health and, you know, water access and all of these different things, all right? And it says that even at the fairly high end of warming, human beings will be much, much better off at the end of this century than they are right now. In fact, what it says is that... Uh, that if we have about four degrees of war, four degrees Celsius, so 7.2 uh, uh, Fahrenheit, by the end of this century, it will reduce gross domestic world product by about oh four percent. But our gross world product will, by that time, have more than quadrupled. So in other words, instead of going up by uh, 400%, uh, you know, the, the average income of people in the world, instead of that, it will go up by 396%. Wow. <laughs> you know, we, we will lose a tiny fraction of the total amount that we will have gained, uh, that, that we would have gained without any warming. And that's what the, the IPCC says, and they're the folks we're constantly cited as saying, oh, we have to, we have to fight this catastrophic problem. It's not yeah. a catastrophic problem. No, it's not at all. So when, when reports come in that maybe contradict the doomsday narrative, that doesn't sit well with people. I know right now in, in India, the surface air temperature is currently cooler than it was in the 1950s. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, that doesn't fit the doomsday narrative. But what happens is that, you know, the media latch on to the exceptions. So, for instance, Vijay Jayaraj, our climate scientist in India, wrote to me a couple of days ago that for about the last four weeks, they had had exceptionally hot weather there. And uh, then the monsoons had begun and the temperature had dropped by a little more than 10 degrees. And that was wonderful. The media report only the hot times and they ignore the rest of the times. So the media also, for instance, recently reported on supposedly the first ever temperature above 100 degrees Fahrenheit north of the Arctic Circle. It was at a remote village in, in uh, Siberia, in Russia, uh, eastern Siberia. And uh, the temperature, by the way, was supposedly 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. What they didn't report was, and, and Dr. Roy Spencer, who is also a scientist who, who uh, helps the Cornwall Alliance, uh, Roy looked up the, the better data, and he found that there is 
a village in Alaska where back in 1981, I believe it was, they had a temperature that was actually slightly higher than that. So it wasn't the first above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and, and besides that, there's no way to say that that temperature in that remote Russian village actually had anything to do with global warming. The village had grown over time. And that means that it makes more of what's called urban heat island effect. Mm. Cities are warmer than their surroundings because pavement absorbs heat and holds it into the night. And so you get, get warmer temperatures. Wow. So interesting. All right, Cal, here's a comment by one of my smart listeners, of which most of them are really smart. But um, he said in... I they're all brilliant. Uh, they are. I mean, I'm... I'm, Otherwise, I'm, they wouldn't listen to you. Oh, no, no, no. I'm so humbled by how smart people are. In spite of the fact that science has proven that current and much higher levels of CO2 are beneficial to life, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that CO2 is a pollutant. This demonstrates the degree to which the scientific peer review process has been corrupted. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that ruling was back in uh, 2007. And it's a fascinating ruling to read because if you read the definition of pollution in that ruling, I mean, I, I promise you, you're going to think this is crazy. You're going to think I'm lying, but I'm not. If you read the definition the Supreme Court used of, of air pollution, it includes any suspended particles in the air. Well, that would include birds. <laughs> that would include raindrops. Okay. I mean, it's, it's so absurd. It's not a proper definition of pollution at all. And that was, that was how the Supreme Court was led to, uh, to make that ruling. But there is an effort underway to have the... Uh, now, that, that ruling, by the way, did not require the U.S. EPA to regulate carbon dioxide emissions. All it did was require the EPA to determine whether emissions of carbon dioxide constitute a, a threat to public health. The EPA made its endangerment finding two years later in 2009, and that endangerment finding was based on very poor science as to the warming that we should expect from CO2. So there's an effort underway now by a large number of scientists to get the EPA to reverse that ruling. And that would be, I think, a very good thing because it would mean no more regulation of CO2 emissions, which would mean uh, less expensive energy for everybody mm. and we could get on with our lives. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. Cal, here's another question. And do you think that the depletion of rainforests in Brazil and other countries could impact the global climate? Well, uh, in a technical sense, yes, but if we ask how significantly, the answer is absolutely insignificantly. Uh, you know, some folks refer to the uh, Amazon rainforest as the lungs of the earth. What they forget is that the CO2 that the rainforest uh, takes in, or, I'm sorry, the oxygen that the rainforest emits during the daytime, during photosynthesis, is actually taken back at night. And so, yeah, the rainforest is breathing, but that's not the lungs of the whole Earth. And besides that, the oxygen and CO2 between 
rainforest and atmosphere, just almost undetectable by comparison with the same trade-off going on between the oceans and the atmosphere. So, no, there's there's no significant impact on uh, global temperature from uh, depletion of the rainforest. And by the way, the rainforest depletion has been slowing and slowing for over 50 years. And uh, as the people of Brazil get wealthier and wealthier, which they are doing, they will deplete the rainforest less and less because mm. they will use more high technology methods of farming instead of slash and burn. Yeah. But that's happened all over the world. It'll happen there too. I have one more question, Cal, and it's a question that comes from me, the host. Do you have any uh, fishing planned? Do I have a fishing plan? Do you have any fishing planned? Are you going to go uh, fishing this well, weekend? Uh, no, I'm not going to go fishing this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I were, but I mean, instead I'm going to make a trip to see see my uh, son-in-law get ordained as an elder in his oh, church. Oh, that's fantastic. I know you love to get out and fish. I just thought it might be a time to do it. But yeah. have a wonderful weekend. Wish and, I could. Yeah, and God bless you and your work. Thanks so much. Thanks, and God bless you yep. too. Dr. Bye-bye, Cal. Dr. Cal Beisner has been my guest. You can go to cornwallalliance.org. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with lots more in Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.